Thanks for tuning in to the Drive On Podcast, where we are focused on giving hope and strength to the entire military community. Whether you're a veteran, active duty, guard, reserve, or a family member, this podcast will share inspirational stories and resources that are useful to you. I'm your host, Scott Delucio, and now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Today, my guest is Brandy Benson. Uh, Brandy is an Army veteran who served in Iraq before being diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Uh, through this experience, she's written a book titled The Enemy Inside Me, and she's here to talk about overcoming the enemy inside you. Uh, she's also the CEO of Resume Advantage, which provides employment services to both civilians and transitioning military veterans. So welcome to the show, Brandy. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and kind of everything about you? Thank you so much for having me, and I would be glad to do so. Uh, so yes, I'm Brandy Benson. I'm originally from California. Um, I ended up joining the military in 2008, and I joined from Illinois. So, you know, this transition, I ended up moving to Illinois, I think it was Gurney, and I was staying with my sister, whose husband was, at the time, they were married, he was in the Navy, and he was at this place called Great Lakes, Um, so he was stationed over there. So we all lived over there, and my sister had joined the military before me. And um, I thought that me being the bigger, you know, the older sister that I should probably be doing something with my life as well. So I decided to join as well. So I joined in 2008. Um, I was in the active or regular army for one month and nine days. So when I got to my first duty station, I was there for one month, nine days. And I was stationed at Fort Carson in Colorado. And I immediately was told that I was going to be deployed to Iraq. So that definitely came as yeah, very, very fast. Came like as a huge shocker. I felt like, why would the military want me to go? And I just learned how to throw a grenade, how to clear a room, you know, how to like fix a collapsed lung and you know, all of this stuff. Like I just finished, you know, rough marching and basically like getting used to doing all this stuff. So it was really like interesting that they, you know, they didn't care how long you were in the military, you know, you're, you're going out no matter what. So find out that I'm going to be deployed. So then I like automatically start getting like anxiety and I'm stressed out and I'm not sure if I'm really ready for this to then make the right choice. I'm, I'm only 24. Like, well, where the hell are they going to send me? So I was just really confused on what was going on and why this was happening. So I'm then told that I'm going to go to this place called Fab Echo, which was about, I think it's like 190 something miles south of Baghdad. And it's, it's at this place called, um, it's Diwania, it's Fab Echo. So we're going there. So I, I immediately um, start doing research on YouTube and I find out that they just had this huge mortar attack that happened and somebody like was able to record it. People are screaming and crying. And I'm like, fuck, like, this is so bad. This is where I'm going. I'm like, oh my God. Then, you know, I'm like talking to my friends and asking them, have they seen this? Have, you know, what's the research that they've seen? We all just kind of like, oh, this is really bad. And then I even try to like talk to my chain of command and try to talk them out of not letting me go because I don't feel like I'm ready. I'm like, I, I don't think I'm ready. You know, I don't think I'm ready to do this yet. I'm not even sure if I like paid attention enough and basic in AIT. Like I was really questioning all of this stuff. I'm like, I don't right. know if this is going to be. A good turnout so I was just really scared really nervous about it 
So they end up sending me anyways. They don't care. You know, you're going you're going to the military. I mean, you're in the military. Your first duty is to, you know, protect your country. This is what your job is. You're going. So I go and I leave out in October. And it was 2008. So when I get there, it's not very bad. You know, it's kind of like to me, it seemed like a like a college town a little bit like people are playing basketball, having a good time. You know, everything's all right. And we're on a small little fob. But then November rolls around. And things get a little quieter, you know, it's too cold to play basketball, everyone's inside. And then that's when all the mortars start, start happening and the bombs start coming in and crazy shooting and people trying to get on the base. And it's just like, just really hectic. I think someone like, I don't even, I think someone um, ended up like committing suicide in a couple of different chews down for me. Like it was like getting really out of hand during the, like the winter time frame. So around December time frame, I'm experiencing like extreme fatigue and I'm really tired and I can't like kick this tiredness at all. And then that's when I start noticing like uh, a different change in me, like something's going on and I just not quite sure what it is. Like I was just so tired. And I thought it was because I was deployed in Iraq. I'm 24, I'm young, I'm away from my family. I'm middle war, like maybe that's what's going on. Like I need more rest. But then that's when I discover a month later in January, this lump in my leg. And then that's when everything went straight downhill. So, so you, you just, you discovered this, this lump in your leg, right? And, mm -hmm. and so in addition to like the, the fatigue and, and things like that, were, was there any pain or was it just like all of a sudden you notice like there's this lump that wasn't there before and now, oh my God, it's, it's sticking out and it like a sore thumb almost, you know? Yeah, you know what? And it wasn't even sticking out. The way I found it, so that whole month um, in uh, December, I was like working out really hard. And one of the symptoms was if you got a 300 on a PT score, you get three days off. And I was like, if I could get three days off, then I will definitely catch up on my rest. Everything will be okay. So I was like going really hard at the gym. Like I was working out three times a day. I'm running miles, you know, keeping up with the guys and doing really great. And then in January, so I've been working out all December and I think that's why I'm tired. And then January, like the beginning of January, I was working out and I did legs that day and I pulled my left leg up to my chest where I was like laying on the bed and I was just like holding it and stretching it. And then I felt a lump sticking out of my mm. leg and I was like, that's weird. So I stand up and I, I don't feel it then. I lay back down and I stretch again and I feel it again. And it was only, it was like very deep inside like the cavity of my leg somewhere. And that's the only way I found out was stretching. I would have never known that it was there. I, I didn't even wow. know. Yeah, I didn't even know that things like that happened to people. I had no clue. I was so naive. Well, so and, naive. you know, honestly, that, that's the reason why I, I asked the question about, you know, how you discovered this. Um, you know, what, was it a pain? Was it something that you, was it protruding or anything like that? Because, um, because like you said, you didn't know and you didn't know that that type of thing happened to people. And I'm sure the listeners who might be listening to this might not right. know that either. And so, um, you know, I, I like to be able to learn from other people's experiences. Right. You know, unfortunately, this is something that, that happened to you. But, you know, if we can uh, pass some information and knowledge on to, to the listeners, hopefully, um, you know, they can discover these, uh, you know, this type of thing soon, if it, uh, if it does happen to them, and, uh, you know, realize, you know, that it's something that they probably need to go get checked out. So, exactly. um, so, okay, so you, you discover this, this uh, lump in your leg. Um, mm -hmm. What what happened from there? Did, did you, uh, obviously, you probably, you know, went, 
went to the you know medics or whoever you had on base there and, and tried yep. to figure out what was going on with you. But you know what what happened there? Sure, I discovered the slump, and I think nothing's wrong with me at all because I don't know. I you know you're young, you don't think anything crazy going to be happening to you because you feel invincible. That's definitely probably what it was. That's so sure, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm sure I was just like, you know, I'm 24, like I'm, and I'm healthy and I'm like really keeping up and I'm running like the fastest times and body's in the best shape of my life. So this lump in my leg didn't concern me one bit and it didn't hurt. So I was like, it's probably nothing. It's probably going to go away. So I show my roommate, I show uh, my, uh, my NCO, I show a couple of friends and everyone's like, oh, like, wh- why are you not concerned? And I'm like, why would I be concerned? Like, it doesn't hurt. And I'm like, and every time I push it, like, it won't go anywhere. It's just like this hard mass just sitting in my leg. So I'm like, mm, you know, it's probably nothing. And they're like, well, you know what? I think you need to show, you know, uh, Captain May, who's our medic um, over there. So I go to the medic station and I go to show her. And my whole premise of going to her and showing her is because, now that I've had like six, seven people say that this is concerning, this is something wrong. I'm like, I know she's going to put me on quarters. I know she's going to let me go get some rest and go to sleep. Like, I'm like, there's no way that all these people think something's wrong. And then she's going to be like, you know, what, go back to work. So I go there. I'm thinking I'm going to get put on quarters. I just need a couple of days to catch up on rest. I'm really tired. <clears throat> so that's the whole reason why, why I even went. So I go to her and I show her my leg. And she looks really concerned, but she's not saying anything. And she just gets really quiet. And then she brings in a couple of different people. And then everyone, they leave. And they're like talking outside a little bit. Then they come back in and they're like touching my leg a little bit and like ask me how long have I had it for? Is it painful? When did it pop up? Um, do I have any other bumps like that? And I'm like, I don't know anything. I, it just, I just saw it. It's not hurting. I, you know, I'm not sure. She's like, okay, well. Um, we're sending you immediately to Baghdad to get a CT scan. And I was like, okay, cool. If I go to Baghdad, I'm going to be in the green zone, not the red zone anymore. It's going to be safer. There's going to be, you know, it's going to look be a little better living quarter. So I'm like, that's totally fine. Plus it's further away. That means I'll get more rest. I won't have to go to work. I'll be able to sleep in. So I'm like, that's totally fine with me. So I go get a CT scan, get that done. The doctor comes over and he says, um, we know for sure there's blood flowing in and out of it. However, we highly suggest that you go to Germany. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> well, I not want to go to Germany. Like what? That means I'm definitely out of war zone. I can maybe go get a beer and I'm over, you know, 21. I can, right. uh, you know, I can, I'm in a, a beautiful picturesque place. Like I would love to go to Germany. The food's probably really good. Like I want to go there. And, and, and so at, at, this, at, at this point, you're really just concerned with the fatigue. Right. Yeah, I mean, it seems like to you, the further you I get away, get yeah, the further I get away, the longer I'll be able to catch up on sleep. And then I, Makes I sense. feel not as like stressed out or wondering when the next bomb is going to come because our, our alarm system, our security system that we had didn't work. It's oh, supposed no. to go off. I don't know, 10 seconds, 30. I don't even know what the time frame was, but it's supposed to go off ahead of time to let you know there's incoming. It was broken. So you never knew when the next mortar bomb, whatever was coming. So that was very stressful as well. Um, but I was just happy to be you know, out of there. And another thing I didn't mention was <clears throat> when I was leaving, I had a whole bunch of my friends come back 
or they came back to my room, they found I was going to Baghdad. So they gave me a list of stuff that they wanted me to bring back for them because we all thought I was coming back. We didn't think anything was going to be wrong. Some people had Nike shoes, some had food, drinks, like, you know, blankets. They like, they wanted me to go to these, these shops wherever and get this stuff. So I had like two, three lists of stuff to get for people, like three different people and they wanted different stuff. They gave me money to, to do this because we all thought I was coming back. <clears throat> I never came back, so I still owe them money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't have any of this stuff. So yeah, that was 14 years ago, but anyways. Um, so I finally get to Germany. And when I'm at Germany, uh, they tell me I have to get an MRI. And um, then I'm, you know, I'm in constant contact with my mother and I'm telling her what's going on. And she, I'm letting her know that I'm in Germany. And she's like, why are you in Germany? You're supposed to be in Iraq. I'm like, oh yeah, like I got this lump in my leg. And they're like, you know, they're like taking me different places and I had to get things checked out. And she's like, a lump in your leg. I'm like, yeah, I'm just a lump. You know, she's like, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's you know I think this is something serious and I didn't take it seriously because I never you know I just I didn't know so I um go to the doctors we get the MRI and then they get the results back and he tells me that it's a tumor and I was like what the hell is that (laughs) what's a tumor I'm like what is that I've never met anybody with a tumor before I'm like what I'm like okay so I go online and I do some research and I find out a tumor is, you know, a mass of cells and it could be cancer or it could be benign. And I'm like, whoa, what does this mean? I'm like, okay, so what, you know, I'm like, I, I'm thinking cancer. I'm like, there's no way I could have cancer because I'm young, I'm healthy. I'm like, I don't do drugs. I'm not like, you know, into all these terrible things. I just, and I, and I'm young and I thought, older people got cancer because that's all I used to see was people who were older had cancer and you know right. them so they smoked or they drank or they did bad stuff so I'm like oh it can't be cancer that's just no way so I tell my mom it's a tumor <clears throat> she's really concerned really like kind of like upset a little bit that I'm not taking it as serious and then um, I get my biopsy done and the the doctor says to me that he hopes it's not Ewing sarcoma and I was like what the hell is that? And he's like, uh, he's like, but I think it's a nerve sheath tumor. And I was like, what is that? So I automatically go online again and I start doing research and I find out both of these are cancers. And I'm like, okay, like this is really serious. This is not a joke. I'm going to die. So I call my mom and I remember talking to her on the phone. I was like really depressed and sad. And I was just, oh my God, it was horrible. And talking to her she it was like super early in the morning it was like four in the morning or five in the morning and she also had my nephew donovan he was a baby at the time my sister was also deployed in iraq but she was at the air force base so it was much better and safe um so she is deployed my sister's deployed my ne- my nephew's with my mom and i'm talking to my mom one thing <clears throat> and she's like well you know what the doctors say i was like well they said that it's cancer and she started screaming so loud and she dropped the phone and it was just so sad and just so heartbreaking. And I could hear like, like the panic in her voice, which made me cry. And I was really, you know, scared about what was going on. And I remember like I got the phone with her or before I got the phone, she said she was going to come and take care of me. She's like, I don't care what happens. Like I'm coming to take care of you. I'm leaving everything in Texas and I'm going to be there. 
And I was like, oh my God, this is like the worst news you could ever get in your life. I'm in like a foreign country. Now I'm dying. I don't know what's going on. I don't have any family with me. I don't have anybody. And this news is just like, you know, like crushing my soul. I'm like, this is terrible. So I automatically go into a deep, dark depression and I start taking pills, sleeping pills, because I can't, every time I'm awake, like all I start thinking about is having cancer and where it's going to be manifesting to and what's going to happen. And I'm going to die and I'm going to go to hell or heaven. And it's like, fucking freaking out, man. I'm like, I don't know, like what is going to be happening with me. And so you know, I just start taking ton of, ton of Benadryls and I slept like the rest of the days. So for the days when I had to go to the doctors and find out what type of cancer it was. So like the first five days, I'm just taking lots of Benadryl and I'm resting and I'm sleeping as much as I can. And um, <clears throat> I remember talking to my roommate who was there and um, we had, we were reading the exact same book and we had the exact same blanket, which is so odd. I just, I just think that's really weird that we had like, out of all the books in the world, we were reading the same book on the same chapter, had the same blanket, very strange, very weird, right? And I just remember thinking like, this is so crazy, but she ended up, you know, she ended up going, being back to being, I think she was like, I can't remember, it was like Taji or Taj, something's with the T. She was getting, she went back to being deployed and all the sick and stuff, but that's just a side note. I just thought that was so bizarre that that happened. Okay. So. Um, I go to the, the last appointment and they're going to tell me what type of cancer I have. So remember the doctor said he didn't want me to have Ewing sarcoma because whatever the reason was, that was like the, the worst of the worst. He didn't want me to have this. So I don't want that either. So I go there and I'm talking to him and he says, okay, we think it's a nerve sheath tumor. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like that's not the bad one. <laughs> that's not the one the doctor was, you know, all scared about. I'm like, all right, tell my mom the information, tell everybody everything. I remember like, as I'm getting checked out, you know, I'm just like really sad and depressed and I'm trying not to move around too much. Cause I'm not very smart about cancer. I didn't, I didn't go to school about that. So I'm like, not trying to walk too fast. Like I don't want a piece to break off and like go somewhere else. Like I had no clue how it worked. I was just, I didn't know. So I was trying to do the best I could to like not make it spread anywhere. <clears throat> so go to Germany, go on my long flight, sad, depressed, all that. And I remember falling asleep and waking up to this guy in a stretcher and he <clears throat> had been in a um in some sort of like bomb or something and he was dead oh. yeah it was terrible and I was like he was right in front of me I'm like what the fuck <laughs> what is going on man and then there was like he had like another friend that was over there and you know just it was just so terrible he was they were all burnt and bad it was just horrible it was just bad it was so scary I was like this is you know, this is what I asked for. I asked to join the military and this is what I got. So get to Walter Reed. And then um, they tell me they have to do a new biopsy. I asked why. And they said, because I have to get a new, um, they have to make sure that it's the, you know, that same cancer that they thought I had. So the, the old cells had died, had to get a new fresh biopsy. <clears throat> so I do a new biopsy and they come in and first they tell my mom to go out, you know, get my mom. Um, so my mom comes out and they're talking to my mom and my mom comes back. She's crying. She's all upset and stuff. And she looks all worried. And she's like nodding up her tissue, you know, and in her hand and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, God, this, this is probably not good. And they sit me down. 
and they tell me, well, um, we, we've confirmed uh, the type of cancer that you have. And I'm like, okay. okay. And then he's like, it's a Ewing sarcoma cancer. And I was like, oh no. I'm like, oh God, that's the one the doctor did not want me to have. I'm like, fuck, man. So of course I start doing all research, <laughs> right? And yeah. I find out that it spreads to your lungs, your spinal cord, your brainstem, that you don't have a high survival rate past five years. If, you, if it does leave, it will come back. Just, and so it spreads all these different places. And they're talking about they're going to amputate my leg and my hip. And I played soccer for so many years. And now, now I, that's out the window. Like I'll never play again because they're not trying to take my leg. Um, it was just really, 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 really tough mentally, physically, emotionally. It was just so draining knowing that this was going to be my future and my family and my mom and, you know, my nephew and all of these people were going to have to like watch me die. It was really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you, did you ever discover the cause of this cancer? Was it like exposure to anything in the environment or was it just bad luck? Um, they think it's bad luck. I think it's the burn pits and the mortars and the radiation and all that stuff that we were all exposed to because there were several people that were from deployment that were on that ward. There was about 13, 12 of us and they were all from deployment. They all came from being deployed. Every single one of them were sick with cancer. They didn't have the type I had and every single one of them ended up passing away and dying. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. It was very, very disheartening, very sad. I would confine in one in one day and the next day they'd be gone. And I'm like, what the, you know, like, and this is like my life now, you know, it's like, you never know what's going to happen. I don't know, you know, if my cancer is going to spread anywhere. I don't know if they're going to have to cut my leg off. It was mm-hmm. really hard. And so, so what, what ended up happening? So at, at they, they were talking about, you know, maybe cutting your leg off and, you know, like how, what, what did that process look like? What, what did they end up doing? And, and, you know, how, how did that treatment end up going for you? Yeah. <clears throat> So when I found out that I had Ewing sarcoma cancer, they give me a whole new regimen and uh, they tell me that we're going to be starting like an aggressive chemotherapy. Like we have no time to preserve your eggs. Like this is a very time sensitive thing. You have to do it like as soon as possible. So I do chemotherapy for five days on, eight days off, five days on, eight days off. And I continue that for 10 months. And I did about 101 chemotherapies in 10 months, like I was dead to the world. I was so sick, so weak, so, so just, it was just, just really bad. I was like, I, I looked like a, I don't know. I just looked so ill. Like I had a gray pale color. It was insane. So crazy. And a bald head. It was crazy. (laughs) But so they, they tell me um, they're going to amputate my leg because they're not sure if the chemotherapy is going to respond or not. And because they've never had a case of human sarcoma cancer before ever in their entire history that they've been working there. Even till this day, I I reached out to my surgeon in 2018. I said, Hey, thank you so much. Like, I'm so grateful. You know, you gave me this opportunity to live my life again. I was like, I'm not sure if you remember me. He's like, of course I remember you. I've never had a case since. Never, right? right? Never. So he remembers me for sure. So I go through my whole treatment process. Um, talk about they talk about them. I have to cut my leg off. Um, I'll have to learn to walk again. All of that, and they're just not sure if I'm gonna be living or not. So 
they are constantly coming in our room and having me update my will. The chaplain's coming in, he's laying this huge cross on me and being dramatic, but he's probably being caring, you know, but dramatic to me, like placing cross on me and asking me if I believe in God and um, if I'm religious or not. And have I given my, my, my soul to the Lord and just so much stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, like these people really think I'm going to die. And so I start thinking I'm going to die because when you go to the doctors, you want to have answers and you usually like take their advice or their input and you kind of put it higher than yours. Like you value it more than, than, than yours because they're the experts in that field. Right, so I'm right. thinking, okay, that if they think I'm going to die, I'm probably not going to make it. There's no way that all this is happening, updating my will all the time and, you know, praying over me all the time and constantly coming in my room and checking on me and seeing if this treatment's replying or, or responding or not. Like I just, I didn't think I was going to live in, neither did they. So that was very discouraging uh, to, to go through. Um, so we, we, I do six months or six rounds of chemotherapy in the very initial beginning. Then we do a large um, surgery and they remove my adductor muscle out of my leg. So that's the uh, main muscle that's in your inner thigh. They take that whole part out. They removed about six pounds of muscle and fat and all that out of my leg. Took that out. <clears throat> so now I got like one skinny leg, one regular leg. I have to learn how to walk again. My legs are swollen all the time. I have this huge hole in my leg that won't close because my immune system is so suppressed that it can't like rebuild up anything. So I'm walking wow. around with a lamp. I like, I can't feel my legs. My, my, um, I have neuropathy in my fingers and then my, my feet. It was hard. I had the chemotherapy was so hard on my body. Like I would go pee and you could smell it. My skin smelt like poison. I would hallucinate. I would see like dead people. <laughs> I would, I would have a bad stutter. Um, some of them made my bladder bleed. Like it was insane. It was just so much to go through just to save your life. But, you know, I really valued my life. So I was definitely, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah it beats like, the alternative, I, I guess. Yeah, I had to like torture myself nearly to death every time, bring you to the brink of death. And then they like rehydrate you with saline and try to, you know, trying to save you back to life so they can bring you back to the brink of death again. So I continued that for months and months and months. And when I first started out, <clears throat> I was very strong, very in great shape. I had, I'm not going to say six pack, but I had a really nice, you know, solid physique on me, uh, really like the best shape of my life because I was working out like crazy in Iraq. Um, so by the time it was done and all over with, I was being pushed in a wheelchair, couldn't walk. I couldn't even sign myself out of the hospital. I was so weak. I couldn't even hold a pen in my hand. My mom had to sign me out. It was, it was hard. It was insane. But I ended up making it through. You know, I, I made a promise to myself that if I got to live, that I would, you know, make a, a better second chance on my life. And during that whole time when everyone thought I was going to pass away and die, I would, I kept a journal for myself and this journal, um, it ended up create, it ended up being a book, but it started out as a journal and it was for my nephew in the event that I did pass away. Cause I wanted to leave him something, uh, that he would have for me because I just didn't think at two years old, he would remember me or what we were doing, what was going on. So I was 
kind of left this like journal for him, or, like a little diary for him about what was going on, how I was feeling, how sorry I was that I was going to be leaving and passing away and not be able to meet him or really get to know him. Um, so then somewhere in between that time and that process, <clears throat> I made a promise again to myself that um, if I got to live, I was going to take these journals and make it a book. And then I ended up, and then that's how the enemy inside me ended up being created. And and that was going to lead into my, my next question for you too is so so the title of your book like you said the enemy inside me um and i'm i'm just going to guess here that you're probably referring to more the the mental enemy uh inside of you you know instead of the i mean i'm sure the cancer is also uh you know a big enemy uh you know there too but there's probably a lot of mental uh things going on there too because you know you go from you're you're in your mid-20s you're invincible nothing's going to happen to you. You just want to have, you know, maybe a couple of days off to, to rest and recuperate yeah. to, oh my God, I'm, you know, knocking on death's door here, uh, yes. you know, and, and there's a whole probably range of emotions that went along with all of that. Um, so I got to imagine that the mental side was, was pretty significant. So, so let's talk a little bit about your book and, and um, you know, what that all was like and, and how you were able to overcome that, that enemy inside of you. The enemy inside me is about something that's not allowing you to be the best version of yourself, the elite version of yourself. So that could be adversity. That could be a bad relationship. That could be insecurities. It doesn't have to be uh, something, I don't know, something huge like cancer. It could just be anything that's not allowing you to be the best version of yourself. And to me, I feel like throughout my life, I've had several of these different um, enemies inside of me that are not allowing me to be the best. It just so happened at the time it was cancer. Then after cancer, it became insecurities. It became learning how to love myself over. It became like uh, learning how to accept myself because I was so upset with how I looked and what was going on and like how my life was turning out and how I didn't plan for all this to be happening to me, but I had to learn how to accept this and work with what, what I was given. Um, so yeah, it's just about being able to identify those things that are not allowing you to be the best version of yourself and finding a, like a roadmap of resiliency of how you can use your tools from the past to kind of help you build a better future um, for your present self. <clears throat> and that's what it's really just about. Um, so for me, again, it was cancer. And so I had to learn how to work with this new individual of, of myself and the enemy was cancer. So how do I take this old individual that I've been fighting for this entire time in the hospital, this old Brandy Benson, that this life I couldn't wait to get back to. And I had to realize that that person's dead and gone. I'll never be the old Brandy again. That person is gone. She'll never come back. And so I had to accept that portion of me and to like move on and kind of make it work for myself. And that's just what it's about, just finding the blueprint, figuring out what works for you, your triggers, all of that stuff. Mental health, super important. Um, giving yourself breaks, being kind to yourself, knowing that being vulnerable is something that's amazing. We don't always have to be the one wearing the superhero cape. Sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need to speak about it. Sometimes it's important to express yourself. Um, and then these are all just things that I've learned throughout the years, 14 years later. Um, because I definitely was someone who didn't want like people to take on my burden. I didn't want them to feel 
like they had to help me, like I was an obligation. So I wouldn't really explain or express how I was feeling or say that I needed help when I should have been asking for help. I just felt like I didn't want to put my problems on somebody else because they were just too much for me to carry myself. Like, why would I want to do this to my mom or to anybody? I just, so I just had a lot of mental enemies that were kind of dragging me down and I kept it for years, years, such a long time. And I didn't say anything for a long time. It was just destroying me like mentally and mentally it kind of, you know, it festers out physically. So it's just important to recognize that and to ask for help when you need it. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things that I, I try to talk about a lot on this show is getting people to, to get the help that they need when, when they, they need it, when they recognize that there's something wrong. And yeah. you know, sometimes you don't even recognize that there's something wrong, but you know, someone else might, and they might say, yeah. Hey, you know, you're not quite yourself. Um, you know, so maybe you might want to go talk to someone or, you know, whatever the case may be, but you, yeah. you, you need to, you know, act on that, you know, and um, you know, talking about, you know, mental health things um, you know, when, when you look at someone like yourself who had cancer, no one is like, oh, well, just suck it up. You have cancer, you know, deal with it. And, you know, because that would just be crazy for someone to say something like that to you, you know. Yeah. Um, but sometimes we, there's a stigma around mental health and, you know, people will say, well, just, just suck it up and deal with it. You know, right. you know, you're, yeah, you're having a bad day or, you know, whatever, but, it, you know, sometimes it's more than just a bad day. You know, it's, it, there's a whole lot more surrounding that. So you're, you're right. You know, uh, mental health is definitely a big, big part of all of this. And mm -hmm. if, if you don't have that strong base to start from, you know, if you weren't, okay. you know, strong mentally and emotionally to begin with, it would be much harder for you probably to, to have gotten through, uh, you know, all that you went through. Right. Right. Yes. And I think it's also really important to have a <clears throat> strong um, support system. I feel like that is the key that I had that nobody else had on that ward. All, it's like 12 or 13 of us, can't remember the exact number, but all of them were all by themselves. They didn't have anybody. I was the only one who had my mom there living with me in the hospital. You know, she was there. And I feel like because she was there for me, she was able to like remind me of how strong I am at my weakest. She was able to distract me if I was feeling too sad or whatever it was. Like she was able to kind of like uh, bounce back and help me when I needed it the most. When I felt like I couldn't and I couldn't do it and I didn't have enough in me, she somehow mustered the strength up and helped me even more. And nobody else had that. I was the only one who had that. And everybody else passed away. And I feel like she is a reason why I'm here. Her support even though she couldn't take my pain away physically or, you know, you know, take the cancer away. <clears throat> she was there for me emotionally and spiritually and it, like just there for me. And that I feel like that is what people who are going through recovery or going through a hard time. And that's what they need the most. And if they don't have a support system, I feel like they should seek one out. Um, there's groups now, like Instagrams, there's Facebook groups, there's uh, different therapy groups. I just feel like getting out there and talking to people who are going through a similar situation, such as yourself, is very vital to someone's longevity. That's, that's great advice, I think, um, you know, with, you know, finding that, that support network, if you, if you don't have a close family or, or whatever, you know, that's, it's important to know that there's other people out there who yes. might be in a similar situation, you know, maybe they don't have the exact same form of cancer as you did, for example, but, you know, 
it's still, you know, a, a scary situation if you have any form of cancer. And so, you know, if you didn't have that support net, network built in with your own family, then, you know, I'm sure there were other people there who you could have maybe leaned on and, and uh, you know, supported them while they supported you uh, kind right. of vice versa like that, you know, so, um, or even someone who recovered through it, you know, and, and was, you know, able to be a, maybe a mentor, if that's the right word, I don't know, but um, who, who could have helped you out with that, you know. Um, right. let you know what you were experiencing and, and, you know, you know, what to expect. That, that type exactly. Of thing. Yes. I feel like the scariest thing is the unknown. Like you don't know what's going to be happening. Like what? That's the, that's to me, that's the most frustrating, most like my anxiety, anxiety goes through the roof, just not knowing what's going to, like not knowing what's on the other side of the door. Like if you open it, is it going to be okay? Or is there a monster? <laughs> Well, should I be defending myself and getting ready to like run after something or am I going to be embracing this thing behind the door? Like, what is it? So it's just hard to prepare for the unknown. And then having somebody who's been through it, who's walked through the door and can tell you, this is what you can look out for. Look out for this. You might feel symptoms of that. This is totally normal, you know? So yeah, yeah for sure. Find that. And, and so you do do some public speaking on this topic too. Um, and, and so what is your advice to people, you know, obviously, you know, have that support system, like you, you talked about already, but what is your advice to people who are trying to overcome their own enemy inside themselves? So, you know, w- whether it's cancer or whether it's some other, you know, uh, enemy, if you, you want to use that, that word uh, inside of them, um, what is your advice to them to, you know, for steps of you know, trying to use some of the tools that they've they've learned over their life and and apply them to uh, to their situation. Right. Um, I would say if the life that they're living is not bringing them happiness or joy or whatever that is, <clears throat> find a find an example of what they think or they like aspire to be, and see how that's working for them. So if this individual is. I don't know, working with different groups or there are different programs or different things, like try to start emulating whatever it is that you're missing and start replacing it with the stuff that that is not as healthy for you, uh, like environmental uh, or um, health-wise. So if you want to be in shape, right, you're, but you're eating junk food all the time, but you see this person that you as your role model is eating apples, they're being healthy, they're doing other things. Well, you can use some of those tools that you're learning vicariously through and implement them into your life. So making small little changes, just dissecting your life and figuring out where is it that you're unhappy? What is it that's making you happy? And how can you um, explore that more or amplify that a bit more? So I just say, like, take a step back and kind of analyze what's going on with your life. What's the big picture here? And what is it that you're not happy with? And how can you find ways to fix that and to like remedy those issues and those problems, because I feel like we can all live the life that we want and our lives and what happens to us is all, it's all a result of our decisions that we've made. If we may have, if we have better decisions and we're more informed with more resources and we have better, um, healthier outlooks on life, like you can live the life that you want. Um, but it all starts with making a choice. So you have to see what's going on in your life that you don't like fix it find a way to fix that find a way to take those things and resources that you see and implement it into your life and it doesn't have to be the exact same thing like i see somebody riding on a yacht or something i don't have to try to 
get the exact same yacht, but you want to be on a boat or you want to be in the water. You want to, you know, maybe the ocean makes you happy. Start going to the beach more, start doing more things that are outside and outdoorsy and in, in nature. So just exploring what makes you happy, what's not making you happy, and figure out a way to bring those happy things into your life. Yeah, that, I mean, that's great advice. And I, I think, um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is the environment uh, that, that people find themselves in. And uh, that that can have a significant impact on, uh, you know, what your 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 state of mind and your well being and o- overall. I, I've had a, I had a guest on uh, this podcast early on, um, and he was uh, he after he got out of the military, he was hanging around with people uh, in his hometown, and they were into a lot of bad stuff, drugs, and you know all, all this kind of stuff, and um, he ended up finding himself homeless. And, you know, he decided, you know what, I just need to get away from all of this. And so yeah. he moved, moved away. Uh, you know, he had bad relationships with his family, he, bad, bad people that he was hanging out with. And he moved away from all of it. He got away from all the, these bad things. And, uh, you know, he changed his life. And now he's a successful business owner, uh, raising a family. You know, he's, he's doing well for himself, you know. So, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's just sometimes you just need to kick yourself in the ass and say, like, yeah. I need to do something to change. Like this isn't exactly. going to change for me. So I need to do right. something and change it. Exactly. You know? It's our decisions, so. our choices that we're making and those become habits. And sometimes those habits end up, you know, getting yourself in jail or something bad happens. So you need to fix it. You have to take responsibility, fix it and do something better with it. And we all have the capability of discerning and, and, and free will. So if someone's mm-hmm. living a terrible shitty life, well, that's because, Maybe you're not making the right choices. Maybe you're continuously in this environment that's perpetuating more stuff that you don't want to experience. You got to take yourself out of that. And I know it's, right. it, it sounds very easy and I know it's very hard and sometimes impossible thinking for people, but sometimes you have to think out the box and you just got to go with it and try because at the end of the day, you have nothing to lose. If it didn't work out, you're just back in this exact same spot. Right. You have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain. So just do it. And as a matter of fact, not only do you have nothing to lose, you've actually gained some insight into something that doesn't work. And so just don't do that again and exactly. then move on and right. try something else. Right. You know, that's for your blueprint. Check. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so, so it didn't work, you know, maybe you wasted, you know, a, a little bit of time and, and stuff, but like it, you can try something and then move on. And, and if that doesn't yeah. work, try the next thing and the next thing yeah. until you get what you want, you know, that, that yeah. type of outcome. And even, you know, you were talking about, uh, you know, diet and, you know, like nutrition and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, instead of, you know, when you go to the grocery store, just don't buy the cookies or the chips, you know, buy right. the apples and the, the fruit and, you know, other things like that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and instead of just letting it rot in your refrigerator, put it out on the counter and yeah. make it be right in front of your face. And so that way, yeah. when you walk by and you're looking for a snack, it's there, right. grab that and eat that instead of looking for the junk food, you know? Right. I always say do things in moderation. Like I feel like life is meant to be joyous and great. And there's so much great food out here. My gosh, it's so hard not to be a hundred percent, like not bad with it, but we're human and we all make mistakes. And I feel right. like we shouldn't, penalize ourselves and be on this super strict fat diet if that's not what you you don't want so I feel like it's okay if you want to enjoy some cake or you want to eat a little bit of cookies here and there but 
you shouldn't be eating the whole box every single day. Like every day, you don't need 12 cookies. Maybe you can have two or three and you'll also have a healthy salad and you'll have, I don't know, maybe the next day you'll have cake, but you're all like, I don't know. You're like, you're balancing it out somehow. Like it's all about balance. It's some people can be so healthy that they're not, or seem like they're healthy, but they're not healthy because they're so malnutrition because they don't have enough calories or they're not getting the right nutrition in their body. So they're not eating protein or they're not eating sugars, but like, you know, you can't live off of broccoli all day. That's not going to work. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I, I want to be sure that we, we also get a chance to talk about your, your company, Resume Advantage. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of veterans struggle with their transition out of the military, um, you know, finding meaningful work and, you know, talk about happiness, right? But, but also dealing with the transition out of the military, that, that all can be tough. Um, yeah. And so what, what is it that, that Resume Advantage does and, and how does it help veterans uh, in their transition? Yeah. <clears throat> so when I was going, when I was getting, doing the transition with the military, I felt like there was a huge lack in um, me and then everybody else in there. Like all of, our, all of our resumes sounded the same. If we had the same job, we all had the same shit on the resume. It sounded ridiculous. It wasn't fair. I'm like, I feel like if we're going to be going towards the same job, like, how are they going to know who's better, who's more qualified? Like, we're all, it all says the same stuff. Like, they literally, like, copy pasted it, put it on a piece of paper, and we're like, here you go. That's, you know, that's your resume. So I felt like that was something that was missing 100%. When I give my life to a company and organization such as the military, and I'm leaving, I would expect a little bit more creativity on the resume to accentuate and communicate my value that I bring to an organization and what makes me different than the next Jane, Joe, whoever it is. <clears throat> so that's what my company does. We work on um, finding your qualities, your, um, your skills and communicating them on paper uh, the, the way that the employer wants to hear it. So some people think that when they're in the military that they don't qualify for certain jobs because it's different jargon, different lingo, all that. But if they just were able to manipulate the sentences, change the structure of the words and know that, yes, yeah, you might have done, um, you know, something in the arms room. That means you were handling a budget of whatever the amount was for all these weapons. You were doing inventory and logistics. You were, you know, you were managing uh, different employees who were your, your soldiers. Like you're doing a whole bunch of stuff, but they don't know how to match up the lingo quite well. So I do that for them. Um, so I take pride. I'm very happy and um, excited when I get individuals that are veterans or people who are in the military, maybe they want to, you know, spruce up their resume a bit, but I'm just happy that I'm able to let them know that they do qualify for certain jobs. Um, and all you got to do is just move the, the structure around a bit, but that's what we do. We just communicate your paper, communicate your value on paper. So the employer will give you the interview. And that's what the whole point of a resume is to get the interview. Right. And there's so many uh, companies out there, especially the, the big companies who uh, they get tons of resumes, you know, every day, every week, you know, whatever, they, they just get lots and lots of resumes. And, um, you know, without listing out the, the right qualities, the right keywords that they're, they're looking for, you, like you said, you may not even get the, the interview, um, right. you know, and, and you may have all the qualifications, but if you don't communicate it effectively in that resume, um, right. then, then you, you, might be out of luck in, in that way. Yeah. So, called the um, applicant so it, system, ATS. 
and you have to hit the key industry buzzwords that that resume is laid out for you on. And so you got to make sure if they're asking for a certain management or asking for a certain amount of years, like you're, you're highlighting that experience and explaining the key successes or accomplishments and why you are valuable or you deserve that job more than anybody else. And then what you can bring. So you want to talk about, I always put in like their, sometimes I'll put in like their hobbies that kind of make them, you know, a little different or just make them more, uh, like when you do, when you're going through a resume, you're trying to see if this is a, the, the right one for the job. So I list out their hobbies. I'll list out like their hard and soft skills. I'll list out um, accomplishments, like, and I'm just trying to brag as much as I can. And I make these people sound like scientists and amazing. <laughs> it, it's, it's great. I can do some really great stuff. No, that, that is great. And, and you don't, like you were saying before, it seemed like, you know, a lot of these resumes were just very robotic and they were like, okay, here, let's copy and paste these skills and put them on the thing and then, you know, send that out. But that, that doesn't really speak to who you are as a person. And, and like you were saying, a lot of times uh, hiring managers are, are looking to see, you know, is this person a good fit maybe for the company culture or, you know, whatever the case may be, but mm-hmm. without some color to, to the story, you don't right. really know who the person is, you know, uh, right. you know, other than some, robot on a piece of paper, you know. Right, right. And that's why the interview is also really important. We help with the inter- interview process as well. So making sure that they're speaking with confidence and they're um, given different examples. So it's called a star format. So it's situation, task, action, and result. And so when they're asking you a question, you answer in a star format. So this is what, so they say how, you know, when you ran into a hard time managing this type of employee, what'd you do? So you say the situation, what the task was, with the action that you did to resolve that and what the result was. So you get straight to the point and they're like, oh, okay, check. Right, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it, I get it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and so that's another, I think another great service is because, uh, you know, a lot of times when someone joins the military, they're, you know, 18 years old or whatever, and they're, they're um, that's the only job that they really had uh, in their yeah. adult life anyways. Um, and they aren't really used to going on an interview after getting out of the military. And so that could be an intimidating process to go through sitting down and and talking to someone and talking about your strengths and weaknesses and all this, this kind of stuff. And um, if you've never done that before, it's a trick question. I always say my weakness is saying no, like I'm an overachiever. Like that's what you want to care too much or something. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, I'm not really good at like budgeting. What? No. <laughs> well, that's this job. So that's I know, not good. right. Uh, <laughs> right. Take him off. He's he's not good. Take him off. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyways, I mean, it seems like this uh, type of service is really, uh, really useful for for the veterans who uh, maybe don't know how to how to communicate their value uh, on paper and in, mm-hmm. or even on in, in verbal, like in an in a interview format where they need to sit down and, and talk to someone and, and have uh, be able to answer those questions um, in an right. interview. So this seems like, uh, you know, really a great service. So I, I'd highly encourage anyone who is uh, looking to uh, transition out of the military, or even if you've been out of the military and you're you're looking to spruce up your resume, uh, maybe looking for a career change, something along those lines, um, you know, reach out. Uh, the company is Resume Advantage. Um, you know, I, I think that that would be a good first place to start. Um, and 
you know, through talking with you, uh, you know, over this last, uh, you know, almost an hour now, time really flies in this, <laughs> but uh, it seems like you really have, uh, you know, a good grasp on, uh, you know, understanding people and understanding their, um, you know, what they, they need and how to communicate their, their values uh, to, to pr prospective employers. So, yes. Yeah. So, well, uh, it, it's been a pleasure speaking with you uh, today, uh, you know, hearing about your story, hearing about the, the struggles that you went through with, with the cancer and, uh, you know, how, how you've recovered and how you, you've thrived afterwards, um, is really inspiring to me. And I, you know, hopefully to the listeners as well. Um, uh, where can people go to uh, get in touch with you or, uh, find out more about your, your book and, uh, resume advantage and, and everything else that you're doing? Okay, so if you want um, a resume or some sort of employment services, <clears throat> you can go to www.resume-advantage.com. So that's my uh, website. And then the email, so say like you want to work together, you need a resume um, updated or created, whatever your choice is, you would go, uh, my email is brandy, B-R-A-N-D-I, Benson, at resume hyphen advantage.com. Um, and then if you need somebody to do speaking engagements, um, that would be www.brandylbenson.com. And then that email, <laughs> so many emails, is brandy at brandylbenson.com. And you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and my handle is brandylbenson. Perfect. I will have links to all of this in the show notes. So anyone looking to get in touch with Brandy, uh, whether it's for employment services or uh, to hire her as a speaker, um, or even to uh, find her book, I'll have a link to her book, uh, which is available on Amazon. Is it uh, anywhere else? Or is it just Amazon? Uh, it's on Amazon and it's on, it's on Barnes and Noble. And it's, it's wherever the books are sold. It's over there. Yep. Perfect. Yep. No, that's okay. And I'll, I'll have, I'll have at least have the uh, link to Amazon uh, in the show notes. So you can, Perfect. you can definitely grab the book there. And uh, again, uh, it's been wonderful speaking with you and, and hearing about your story and, and everything that you've, you've accomplished uh, since uh, getting out of the military. I, I really thank do you appreciate so your time. Much. Yes. Have a great day. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the drive on podcast. If you want to check out more episodes or learn more about the show, you can visit our website, driveonpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Drive On Podcast. 